Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. as we preach and spend our time in this thing. As we jump into the book of Daniel, I trust you survived Black Friday and you weren't part of the stampedes and um, as God is in. But we, we're jumping to the book of Daniel just to say we're continuing sowing in summer. There's multiple ways in which you can give and be a part of this story. Again, nothing here will be spent on the life of this church from salaries to buildings. Every cent of it will be sown beyond our walls, beyond our borders into giving into areas of the poor, sowing into beyond our borders, um, church planting, and a whole bunch of endeavors that God has called us to to be a part of. So if you'd love to be a part of that and love to sow into that, please use this opportunity over the next few weeks. Multiple ways to give, which is exciting and um, privilege. Is that good? So lots of opportunity. We really want to dedicate ourselves to be a community that is releasing and giving at every level, a part of everything that God is doing in our community. I so loved, even as I was chatting to someone from our linked um, conversations, they were asking, why do we do, why are we involved in Site 5, why are we involved in the noon Recycle Swap Shop? And it's such a privilege for us to be a church with our hands prepared to get dirty in some of the challenges of our society, our economics, and, and what God is doing in our city. And I pray that we can continue to partner in those things. But today, Daniel, we are jumping into Daniel chapter 3. Who enjoyed our favorite redhead last week? He's a good singer. We're going to keep him around a little bit. So redheads, are, are, they are ministry unicorns, those things. You've got to keep them. They are special. He is a very, very special man, and I absolutely love him preaching. And uh, he kicked off the series and took us into this Daniel, and there's this big idea in Daniel. Actually, these two worlds collide as these young men and their people in the lineage of David get now pulled into exile into Babylon, into the enemy's territory. They get pulled into the zone. They get renamed as the enemy tries to force and fashion their culture onto these young Jewish men and tries to impression them into becoming like Babylonians. But what you find is these young men stand under pressure. They stand. They know who their God is and they choose to follow him above all other challenge and pressure and trial. And last week we looked at Daniel chapter 1 where Daniel was called to into this big story and his challenge and, and he wouldn't bow his knee to that story. He said, actually, we're not going to eat Babylonian food. We are Jewish. We are part of God's people, which means we're not going to buy into that story. And they said, actually, just let us eat what we believe God. And, and at the end of 10 days, if we're still strong, if we can still perform, then allow us to continue to serve in the king's courts. It's an amazing process, an incredible journey. And uh, they stand and they hold. Then we enter Daniel chapter 2. And we're not going to read through the whole of Daniel chapter 2 as we've only got four weeks to do this series. But Daniel chapter 2 is this incredible moment where they stand before the king and, and the king of the land, Nebuchadnezzar, gets cross. And he has a dream. And he says, actually, what I want is all the wise men, all the, the magicians, all those that are known to have wisdom and counsel in the land, come. And he brings them all together and says, actually, I've had a dream. But he doesn't say, just interpret the dream, which is the norm. He comes the next step. He's a bit sneaky, old Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, actually, I want you to tell me what the dream is. And then interpret the dream. It's a tough one. <laughs> he says, and if you don't get it right, goodbye. No next Christmas, no next story for you. And all the guys are like, whoa, king. No king has ever asked that before. That's not possible. And who falls into this category are these young men who've been pulled into the Babylonian story, Daniel and his mates, Meshach, Yorshak, and Abednego. 
Meshach, Shadrach. They're there. They're their mates. They're the new names. That's the names. They're in their new story. But they're part of this crew. He says, if no one in these wise men can bring my dream to me and interpret the dream to me, actually, they're all gone. And Daniel hears this, but he knows God. And he says, actually, can I have counsel with the king? Goes to the king, presents something of the dream to the king, and presents a prophecy, a prophecy of future kingdoms, a prophecy of what God was going to do as he was restoring his kingdom. And again, God's men shine. And amidst the greatest trial, the greatest challenge, and all these pressures that they are facing. And um, central to this series and central to this book of Daniel is this, how do we engage a world that is so different to the world that the Bible calls us to be a part of? Jesus says we've been pulled into his kingdom, and yet we're of this world, but we're not in this world. How do we navigate these things? I don't know about you, but that is a very real challenge, especially at Christmas time. And we're coming to all sorts of challenges and the world goes crazy and do we buy into everything? And there are these challenges. Do we assimilate into culture? Or do we just abandon culture? Assimilate meaning that we just become part of it, get pulled into everything, or we stand on the outside of it accusing and challenging and shouting at the world around us. It's important. And you've seen it, I trust you've seen it, and if you haven't seen it, we need to open our eyes, because too much of the church are standing, shouting at the world, telling the world everything they're doing wrong, standing behind the four walls of the church, assuming that we're safe. And yet we're not engaging in the mission that God has called us to engage. And there's this really clever guy named Ed Stetzer, who says the church tends to engage with culture in four ways. The first way is condemning it. We just stand behind our promises, we stand behind our story, and we just condemn the world. And we stand and say, actually, you condemned, and you condemned, and actually, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. And we love the Facebook status that actually, everyone's going to hell, we just condemn the world, because we got Jesus. One position, I'm not saying it's right, because I don't think it is. The second one is critiquing the world. We have become the judges of the world around us. We become those that have the stance that actually we've got every perspective of where the world is going wrong and we feel like it's our duty, like um, Nick Mallett for the rugby team, to make sure that we tell the world everywhere they're going wrong and we have the critique for them. Two new ways, two other ways, we copy the world. We become just like the world. We take on everything that the world has to offer and the ways of the world and the promises of the world and we just become a copy and a clone of the world rather than standing out and lastly, we consume. We take everything the world has to offer, we consume. But on Sunday, we do our Jesus story. And the challenge is each one of these positions that we take towards culture affects our posture towards culture, affects our tone. When I read Jesus' word to the people around us, there are the words that he says, but there's also the, the love in his eyes that runs from the beginning of generations to the end of Revelations. There is a Savior calling His people home. Every single line. And the challenge when we step in any of these areas and, and, and is that there's an ultimate goal of us walking out our theology, what we believe. Why do we read the Bible and why do we engage a book like Daniel? Is because we're actually doing theology. We're saying, Jesus, you are showing us something about how it is to live in a world where actually we are exiles. You and I, the minute you gave your life to Jesus, are exiles in this world. You are of another world, and yet you're called to live in this world to minister His grace, His goodness, and allow people to see Him and pull Him into a story where He gets all the glory. It's a big challenge. 
says actually, but in these things, the journey of that journey is not about getting it right and having all the answers. All our theology and every time we come to the Word of God pulls us not into puffed up knowledge, pulls us up to worship. Every time. Every time I discover, even as you read Daniel, I trust that there's a burning desire to worship Him more. I believe all theology should land in worship as its ultimate goal. And as we pull into the story, we get pulled into the story of Daniel. And it's an amazing thing, even as he engages this king who is raging because no one can interpret his dream. It just says this amazing line about his way of speaking. It says, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. It's an incredible line, and it's an insightful line. It's a line that needs to help us as believers as we engage the world around us. Some of you have got horrendous bosses. bosses. I know that. We've chatted. Some of you have promised your subordinates bonuses based on certain performance criteria, and on the 22nd of December, the owner of the business just decides no, and you've got to communicate that. So what do you do with that scenario as a believer in this world? Because that's how it goes down. That's what our world is like. Well, the Bible says, actually, we know who God is, and then we need wisdom and tact to engage the world around us, to take them on a journey. So what? So they can find Jesus. There's no point us getting behind the scenes and shouting about our boss and how bad he is. Actually, if he doesn't know Jesus, he has no reason to live for any other reason than what's in front of him and protect that treasure. But we who know Jesus have the wisdom and tact and the ability to take those around us on journeys. Why? So they can see Jesus. Daniel is not just about the excellence of a young man and calling young man into excellence. That's a very cool part of it. Daniel is about how do we live out our Christianity? How do we live out these passions and these desires and these beliefs? We are believers. Not just in what makes sense to us and what feels good. We are believers in God's whole truth and His Word. How do we live that out in the world that is watching? Is that okay? Quite a long intro. We all okay. The very cool thing about it is, is Daniel interprets his dream in the end of chapter 2. God gets glorified and God's children, and, and, and Daniel gets a position of power in God's men. It's radical. And what you'll see is that's an ongoing story. Then we kick off in Daniel chapter 3. And I would like to read from verse 8, but there's this whole story going down. King Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of gold. It is humongous. He's basically just making up a new God. And he says every time the music plays, it's like our lives. Every time you hear the music on the radio, you've got to fall flat on your face and worship this God. But he doesn't just do that. He calls everyone who is known as a wise man or a leader or an influencer or a prefect in the land. He calls them all together, throws the biggest party with the biggest sound system in the world, and they just play. It's like musical, musical chairs. What's that thing? Not musical chairs. What's that? Musical statues. It's like musical statues. They're playing musical statues, although every time the music plays, you've got to fall down and worship God. But here's God's men. There's Daniel. And these three young men, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they're just probably 18 years old. Just 18 years old. And they could have rationalized and justified different responses, and yet this is their response as they encounter and get exposed as those who won't fall down in worship. Can we read together? Actually, will you stand with me? Is that all right? We, we really believe as elders that, that the reading of the Word of God, and even as I've engaged people in conversations, it's one thing we really want to help people do. 
At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lion, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, this is not a good situation when a king is furious with rage. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now when you hear the music, the sound of the horns, flute, zither, lion, anyone know what a zither is? I didn't do my research. Not. Okay. Harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image, of, uh, image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what, God will be, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So they replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve... Sorry, let me go here. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with them, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the armies to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and brought into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three, firmly tied, fell into the blazing fire. Then Ning, King Neg <laughs> Ning Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and advised his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of God's. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Can you sit down? We'll go from there. And what happens then is the king's amazed and he calls them out and he says, come out and they tell him the story. And he is amazed and he enables and he says, actually, those who want to worship the God of the Jewish people, the God of the Israelites, can worship that God. It's an amazing thing. And these three go right up against the king. The king loses. They go up against the king and he falls flat on his face because the God of Almighty, who he calls the God Almighty, he says they're, um, most, they're servants of the Most High God. It's a radical statement that this king who's created a new God pulls him into a story and it ends up that they get promoted. It says in the last line, the king promotes a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It's an amazing, amazing story. I would say central to really getting the story is believing that it actually happened. If this is a nice idea, some Christian writer wrote up, and not history, because this is written as a history book. 
in the Bible. If this is just a nice idea that someone wrote up, then the story falls flat on me because Hollywood can do this. But if this is a story where three young men chose to believe their God that he was able, as we sang in that song this morning, then this is astounding. And we have to stand up and, and watch. See, our greatest danger as Christians, I believe, is not when all things are good. See, these young men, there were three young men, 18 years old, they'd been given privilege, they were exiles, but they'd been taken to a land where they'd been given privilege, things were good, they had a roof over their heads, they had position and profile, things were good. But actually, I think that's when we most expose sometimes. And actually, the greatest challenge and our greatest danger is not when things are bad, it's actually when things are good. And we get pulled into this story, and um, I want to make a few simple points out of this story as we navigate this amazing book and understand what it is to engage culture at this time. Because we live in a world, guys. We can fill our world with Christians alone, and we can try to isolate ourselves, I think, at some measure, not at some measure, at every measure, that's completely not the purpose of the gospel. Yes, there's time to be built up. Yes, there's time to be encouraged. So we do once a week and we gather in life groups and we get together and we pray, which is amazing. But God says, I've actually sent you out so you can go and make disciples in the world. How do you make disciples? Well, you meet people who start off as consumers. They start off looking for something they consume and you bring them Jesus. You bring them your testimony, your story, and you take them on a journey where they become disciples. It's part of the story he pulls in. But I want to make this point right up front. We worship before a watching world. Always. And when I say worship, and it says this, but this is the accusation of, of the locals. It says, but there are some Jews who have, you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon who pay no attention to you or your gods or your worship. See, our worship is so much more than just worship on a Sunday. I remember being 15 years old, I'd been saved for about 18 months, and I was in a church where we worship radically, and I used to stand at the front and worship radically, until a, a big Lonnie speaker came to town, and I worshipped my heart out, he, he pointed at me while he was preaching, and he said, young man, says it's easy to worship when you're 15, but in 20 years time, will you still be worshipping the king of kings? And just moved on, I was ah, that's big. See, it's easy to worship in church. It's easy to raise our hands in church on a Sunday. It's easy to go on that. That's what this environment is created for. We want people and to draw them into this thing. But everything we do is worship. And not just what we choose to worship, what we choose not to worship as well. The world is watching. And as we gather, we need to understand that actually part of our worship is the fact that God has designed us to be a worshiping community, engaging and worshiping in the world, even when the fires and the challenges come what may. And um, this story is going on. There's lots of excitement. There's a big party going on. And they get called in and say, everyone must worship. And these three young guys say, no, but we can't do that. Let's think about it. They're 18. Life is good. If, you, if I was them, I would have gone, surely God wants me alive. Isn't that like a good self-justification, rationalization of a situation? It's like God wants me alive. He's put me in exile. He's given me profile. He wants me alive. So if I were to fall flat on my face before some dead God, surely God wants me alive. That would have been, I'm like a make a plan guy. I don't know about you, but if that was my scenario, outside of faith, I would have started thinking along those lines. Let's make a plan. God will be good with it. I don't know, but is that just me? 
I mean, there's all these charges brought against them, and, and the world is watching, and they bring these charges, and the penalty for not doing it is death. Not a demotion, not another Daniel fast, death. They know this. They're not blind to it. And um, they come up to a king and say, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves. We've got to step back and say, Well, who is the king that is shouting at God's people today? Who are those kings? I remember uh, I was uh, newly promoted into management um, in, in my job, and one of the roles that I had was to go around the country and launch new products to sales teams. And it meant flying to about five different cities and, um, and in, a, in a week and each day doing launches, then taking those sales teams out to lunch. And because I was the marketing guy with the marketing budget, I would pay. That was the expected. Now, this was a new role for me. It was a new space. And these are more senior people. They've been in the industry longer. But I'm the young upstart who comes in with the budget, so I pay. That's how it works in that industry. And so one of these times, I'm flying in, and I fly into a city in our nation, and um, we, we're doing the launch at a launch venue, and then I just happen to ask the sales manager, who's more senior to myself, who's quite a bit older than myself, I just say, where are we going for lunch? And he mentions a name of a place. And I don't know if it was the Spirit of God or just the fact that I understand naming restaurants, but this restaurant sounded more exotic than Burger King. Next level from the Baron. This restaurant sounded like it had a whole lot of other entertainments attached to it. So I sat there processing and I just said, um, is that a strip club? He says, well, no, they've got really good steaks. <laughs> but this was one of the smaller cities, so I think they'd got away with this for a number of years and the young marketing guys would just pull into town. There were about 30 sales agents and me. And they were all very keen to go to this certain restaurant. And I stood back and I started doing the, the, the presentation and I got down from the presentation. Everyone was happy. We we're all going to lunch. And I went to the salesman and I said, sorry, sir, I, I can't take you to that establishment. Said, what do you mean you can't take you? That's all you do. You come, you present, you bring the products, you leave after you've paid for lunch. I said, no, I'm not going there. And uh, it was an awkward moment for myself. I was about 25 years old. Um, I was newly promoted. There was a whole bunch of things going on, and this guy got furious, a little bit like King Nebuchadnezzar, how I would imagine King Nebuchadnezzar, because this was his biannual visit to this exotic location, paid for by his business. It's like the perfect remedy for him in that moment. It's a major team-building experience, apparently. And then this young whippersnapper, Upstart, comes and says, we're not going there. So he gets on the phone to my marketing director, who was my boss, who just happened to be a female lady who knew about this. But when she heard someone stood up, that she took my side, which I didn't know would happen at the time. And I was very grateful for it, to be brutally honest. Part of it was she just promoted me and had to back me because she needed to at that time, which was awesome. So it was the most awkward lunch in the world as we all went to some very tame restaurant, ate our steaks, it ended very early, I paid the bill, and I caught a taxi to the airport, I wasn't dropped off, and I left. And I promise you there were many kings shouting that day to me. A number of kings. Number one, self. I like being liked. 
I don't know about you, but I liked being like, I can see it in my little boy Judah. It was his birthday party on Friday. He does crazy things, so his mates think he's awesome, but they crazy things. I was a little bit like him as a kid. I, I remember my dad saying, stop it. You're just doing that to impress your friends. I like being liked, and I've had to go on a journey of identify of identity, who am I? But you engage a moment where there are 30 people in a foreign city that no one really knows you, and it probably won't get back home that you did it. And it would just make it a lot easier if I just went with. Or even just said, you go and I'll pay. But I just couldn't. I'm not telling you these stories. I'm telling you because this is how real it is to engage culture. This is how real to say, God, I want influence in our world. But I don't want to face up to these things. So can you hide me behind some safe zone? No, God's not going to hide you behind any safe zone. You want influence in the world? He's going to put you out there in front of a fire furnace. And then it comes, what about other kings that are shouting, man's opinion? See, I've got to work with these guys ongoingly. What if I become a prude to them? What about ambition? Here's the thing. I was ambitious as a young man in that job. At that time, I never wanted to be a pastor. So this wasn't in the game plan. So one day I could tell this story as a preacher. That, I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking, I really want that next promotion. But here I'm being this guy stopping the block. Please understand, these are all kings shouting at a 25-year-old on guy who's very grateful for his job and wants to be promoted. What about other kings like inquisitivity? Is that even a word? Being inquisitive. I was inquisitive. I, by the grace of God, I haven't been in a strip club. I'm not saying that out of arrogance, and it's not because of lack of desire or being inquisitive as a young man. But I've known God since I was 14 years old. I've seen God heal the blind. I've seen him heal cancer. I've seen him save some of the worst situations possible. I've seen him sustain my family through the darkest times. I know God. I know God. Which means every other king can take a duck. Which means every other king's voice has to bow down to who God is. It doesn't matter how awkward we feel. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? Get over people liking you. I'm being serious. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? Get over the need to be understood. Because it's not part of the package sometimes. And it might even be family. It might be friends. It might be those you've walked with for the most of your life. I've got friends that I've been friends with since I was six years old. And they didn't mind that I went church to, to church on Sunday until I told them I was actually leaving my job to become a preacher. Then they thought I'd gone nuts. You've got to get over that stuff. And not just get over it. Satisfy every desire in who God is. And I promise you, then we start leading culture rather than consuming. Then we start influencing those around us. Then becoming those who copy and step into. And I tell these stories not as, as any kind of brag, but as to say, I promise you, I've never felt so vulnerable in all my life. And yet God is still God. And we are called to worship Him. These three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced a fiery furnace or bowing their knee to a foreign god, and they chose this. We worship before a watching world. Secondly, what we bow to, we will end up bound to. And it says, but if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Whose hand? Nebuchadnezzar, a king's hand. I'm in the king of kings' hands. But if I allow myself to worship, I'm not just bowing to it, I'm being bound by that worship. What are you allowing yourself to worship right now? 
See, the king comes to them and he says, boys, I'll give you one more chance. I like you. You've done well. I'll give you one more chance. If you'll just bow, if you'll just do this moment, if you just do this one thing for me, I don't care what you do behind closed doors. Just do this one thing. These are three young guys with already great influence, and it might have seemed the wise thing just to compromise a little bit. I want to tell us and inform us that there's nothing like compromise to turn down the volume of our faith. There's nothing like compromise to shut off our influenceability into those we love the most. You cannot hide from your family that are watching. I've got family members who are not saved. You can't hide at Christmas when family debacles happen. But the one thing they will smell out is compromise. The one thing they will smell out is inauthenticity. And the book of Daniel challenges us and says, Hey guys, it's this real. The influence that you're called to have on those people around you, the ones you love the most, they will see the decisions you make. Even if you think no one's watching. It says, then who will, who will rescue you from my hand? What about, it's Christmas time. Let's just get really practical, really things. Most of you work in corporate environments. It's party time. Christmas party. I don't know about you, but my environment, a lot of young guys, a lot of marketing guys, a lot of money to spend. And actually, Christmas party was like the biggest thing of the year. There were whole planning teams for the Christmas party. And I, I was always intrigued why it would start at lunch. It's like we're going to, there were buses, so no one drove, okay? And then, but, and, and, why? Because my very first Christmas party at about half past four, everything was going crazy. And I was a little bit naive and a little bit protected from being in the church much of my life. And now I'm in the bright world and I'm going, whoa, this is all of a sudden very real. And work colleagues who I actually really like and enjoy are offering me all sorts of things to put up my nose. I don't have the biggest nostrils. That's like a pointless exercise. I have the smallest nostrils you've ever seen in life. Why would I want to put anything up there? Nothing fits. And then... But by like hoppers four, quarter to five, I'm going, actually, I'm not sure it's incredibly helpful me being here. I'm all up for a party. I don't need all sorts of things to get me rolling on a dance floor. That's, I can do that just for fun. I'll do that at church. But, I, I, but now everyone's rolling on the dance floor, and it's not just because we're having fun. And I'm going, actually, I know I'm going to be seen as a prude, and I know people not understand. I actually need to leave i, I got to leave, but the buses are only starting going really late. So I've got to make a plan. And so I leave. As I'm walking out, I see one of my very senior executives leaving from a group of bushes with a young lady from my office. And it's an awkward moment, and I just walk. And I'm going, God, I'm really not of this world. There's a whole bunch of things because I really do love you, and yet I am inquisitive, and yet I do want to put my feet into some of these conversations, but I know that you've called me to something, and I want to live a life that brings you glory. And if it costs someone's understanding of me, and if it costs someone's opinion of me, actually, that only thing that matters is who you are. That's what Daniel's telling us. That's why Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego is important. That's why as you go into your marketplace, even at this silly time of the year, where people are tired and for the one time in the year, your company's probably going to be generous with you. Will you watch your influence? We all have influence. Will you understand that actually what's more important is, does your faith, what, what does your faith look like to someone who's watching? Your faith looks like something. It's got to be real. It's got to have influence. Jesus says in verse, John 
17 says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And there's a whole bunch of theology in there. But our journey is not to hide from the watching world. Our journey is to shine the love of Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You will have your own fires. You will have your own stories to tell. You will have them, and they will come Don't hide from them. Jesus doesn't take them out of the fire. He puts them in the fire. He's with them in the fire and he walks them through the fire. So much, so many people spend so much time and energy avoiding every fire in our life. Don't avoid every fire. In the fire will be your greatest testimony sometimes. Have you got a few more points? Is that all right? I want to say point number three, it's your call. We live in a world where everyone loves to be critics or commentators and very few get the opportunity to kick the goal in the last minute of a World Cup. But it's your call. These times and these decisions, it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's call, even though he was king. It was these three young men's call. It says if, if we are thrown into the fire, if we are thrown into the furnace, then God we serve is able to deliver us. It was their decision. The imminent implications, they're going to burn for their belief and their trust in Jesus. They weren't saying, you know what they weren't saying? And what I was looking for, I was saying, no, there was a prophet, Jeremiah, or some prophet that prophesied that three young guys would go into a fire, but they would come out unscathed. Cool, we're holding on to the prophecy. They don't say, I had a dream last night that you were going to throw us into a fire and someone was going to join us in the fire and we would come out on the other side fine. They just say, our God is able to deliver us. Sometimes you don't need a prophecy. You don't need a word. You just need the promises of the living word of God over your life that will walk you through every fire and every challenge and every trial. Two more things and then we're done. God's protection follows his faith. And the king says, hey, look, there are four guys in there. And he calls them out. How weird is that? Chucks them. Even the gods that threw them in there, they died because it was so hot. And the king calls them out and says, hey, you guys, come out here. And he's absolutely amazed. And I love the fact that God didn't stop them being thrown in that fire. Why? Because we don't, for 2 Corinthians 5, for we walk by faith, not by sight. That's who we are. We understand these things. I love the fact that the promise of Matthew 28 is God calls us into this great big mission. In verse 22, it says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. We'll never be able to bring the world to Christ by becoming like it. We just won't. Which means we will be different. To be honest, it's probably been my greatest journey and challenge in my years of following God is to be different. I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be the same. I wanted to, I was the naughty kid. I know some of you are going to struggle with that and struggle to believe that. But I was always the naughty kid. I would always push the boundaries and then I encountered this Jesus says, I want to make you like me. And I'm going, but I like being like me. And you know what? My friends like me being like me. And Jesus says, no, but I want you to be like me. 
And he takes something that cuts so many people. This mouth. And he revealed his love to me. And a mouth that used to cut people down at school. I remember moments. The same mouth gets to preach the gospel. I found Jesus amazing. And he protects us in and through that. And lastly, God's promotion follows faith. The last line. So then King promoted these young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's not a throwaway, a throwaway line, but it's an incredible truth. Here's the thing. They might have been promoted if they'd bowed down anyway. They might have got their promotion, but they wouldn't have seen the promotion of the living God in and through their lives. I want to read a quote from a book I read many years ago by a now named Jim Simbala, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, and he said this, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip away, slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on my behalf. What is the theme of Daniel? How do we survive in this pagan world, a world driven by worldly kings and fears? We survive by a come what may understanding that God is faithful, God is true, God is kind. Actually, my life doesn't change all of a sudden because a president is no longer in control. No, the king was always in control. And whether there is a fiery furnace or a lion pit that I'm about to be thrown into, the safest place I can be is in that fire or in that pit because my Jesus is with me. It's the safest place I can be. Stop looking for safe places in comfort zones and find the safest place possible in the protection and the grace of the King of Kings as you navigate life. Can I pray for us? Lord, there's so many kings shouting to hearts and minds. Societal pressures, social pressures, sexuality pressures, finances. I pray, God, as we navigate this book and as we take your word and your word feeds our souls, I pray, would you call us to more at this time? I pray that you would make us like you. Not so that we could become poster boy Christians. That's not the intent. Why, Lord? So that those who are far from you can see what it looks like to trust in the living God. Can see what it looks like to be protected for by the living God. Can see what it looks like to be promoted by the sovereign hand of God and God alone. Even when the kings of this world shout. I pray put courage in us as a community. Put strength in us and put your grace upon us, Lord. I want to see your mighty hand in my life, God. That you would have all the glory, King. Amen.